Hey everybody, Chibi here. Before we get into today's conversation, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for showing us that you care about poetry and getting to know more poets across this country. If you've liked what you've heard so far, please make sure to hit that subscribe button, share these episodes, tell a friend, rate and review us wherever you can. And if you want to know more about the things and the initiatives that we are putting in place, you can look us up on Facebook at The Blah Poetry Spot. That is B-L-A-H, The Blah Poetry Spot on Facebook or Write Art Out on Instagram. That's W-R-I-T-E-A-R-T-O-U-T, Write Art Out. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's get into today's conversation. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Welcome to another edition of the Blah Poetry Spot Presents Words and Shit an intimate performance and conversation with a different poet every week so that you can get to know the person behind the poetry. My name is Chibi. I am so excited to be here with you guys. Uh, I am joined once again by fellow uh, San Antonio legend and taco poet extraordinaire, Eduardo Vega whom I can't see right now. I'm not sure where he went. I'm maybe here. There you are. But I hear you. have muted me on my video. No, no, I would and never do that. It says I can't do that. I would never do that. No. Has to start. Hey, see? Ah, look, here we are. See? Because eh, eh. anyway, hey, I'm so happy to be here. So happy to be seen because it's good to be seen um but not be seen because it's dangerous out there so be seen seen here Mm -hmm. don't be seen out there be seen in the safety of your home yo home because we've got record number of cases out there of that uh cabronavirus so make sure that you're seen at your house and if you do need to go out make sure you wear a mask Cover sure up. You get some, cover mask. up. You know, right. be kind to yourself linger. and to each other. Don't linger. I'm not people lingering today because I saw- might have gone to Bath and Body Works. Uh, <laughs> I saw this hysterical video of uh, a a um, Mexican uh, uh, actress. I think that she was like going over like, all right. So for the hundredth time, let's just be clear, okay? Don't go out at all under no cost unless you need to go out. So then go out. And all businesses should be closed for all reasons, unless they're in sessional businesses, then they should be open. And just, you know, use some common sense and logic people, okay? Yeah, you know, take care yeah. of yourself. So we're so lucky that we have this platform, this virtual platform that we're able to still continue the conversation, still continue the dialogue, have important dialogue and conversations with people that are making an impact in our communities, even during these uh, uh, stay at home, shelter in place, quarantined on certain times. Uh, so I'm really excited because today's uh, episode is with a local legend. Eddie, can you tell us who do we got joining us? Today? Legendary Anel I. Flores. She was awarded Women's Advocate of the Year from University of Texas, San Antonio. She's got a whole bunch of other awards. I'm going to like just highlight here. Name best of San Antonio local author. The Chingona and Literature Award, 
Not Locked Funds of the Year Award, Yellow Rose of Texas Educator Award. She's got an MFA in creative writing and is a member of the Macondo Writers Workshop and the study for the Society for the study of Gloria and Saldua. She's on the Mayor's Advisory Board with Ron Nirenberg as a loyal advocate to the transgender and LGBTQ plus community. And she has served also as a board member of the Esperanza Peace and Justice Center and the Pride Center, uh, San Antonio Youth Literacy, co-founder of the grant coordinator of Les Ride SA. All of this while also being a boutique realtor. And I'm not really sure what that is. Like she like deals in boutiques or something. Maybe. <laughs> But maybe we'll ask her <laughs> all of that uh, with overflowing love for her queer familia and the patient support of her magical wife, Erika, their two brilliant daughters, Jessica and Clarissa. I have to tell you when um, some years ago I got invited to a um, graduation party for one of my students who had just graduated. And that student told me specifically, Mr. Vega, I'm giving you this invitation because I know you'll like it. There's going to be mole. And I'm <laughs> like, I'm down, I'm going. And I had to take a friend of mine. I took my, a poet, uh, Jesse Cardona. We got to the house. We got to the house, opened the house. And Jesse, who was my guest, knew everybody, including the hostess, one of the hostesses, which was Anel, because Anel and Jesse had been teachers together uh, in, in their Edgewood days. Um, and it was, it was so happy, so happy to finally meet her then and, and to be there at that celebration. And um, Sadly, there was no mole. There was a mix-up. Uh, <laughs> I'm still owed. It's been like 10 years, I think, but I'm, I feel like I've been owed mole. Um, we owe you mole. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, Anel Flores, so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here with you guys. It's really good to be in community. Uh, it's so good to see your your wonderful, beautiful face. And I know we were talking about it earlier when we were doing our little like sound check, but like that painting behind you, is just phenomenal and that's one of your works right yeah that is one of my works as well yeah thank you so much thank you i appreciate it well let's get started the way we always <laughs> do with a little bit of poetry eddie and i are gonna duck out all right thank you awesome thank you all so much thank you eddie thank you chibi thank you uh blog poetry spot and all the authors and writers and Performers out there doing this work. Um, a minute ago, I just got I was I got teary eyed just a little bit uh, when I came live. I just suddenly had this uh, immense amount of emotion come over me uh, to be in community with you, and uh, it's it's where I feel the best um, with you. And so I'm going to read this poem that I started reading four years ago, and it has not um, gotten old, and you'll see why. I also want to provide a few trigger warnings um, and also excuse my dog who's barking because he wants to get in the studio with me, so he can't. Um, but I, I do want to warn of uh, some trigger warnings of sexual assault and some violence. Um, it's got to get done, so there you go. Breaking news. It's not okay. June 12th, 2016. 49 shot dead and 53 injured at gay nightclub. Pulse, Orlando, Florida. June 13th, the next day, 10.15 a.m. I called my mom because I longed for the feeling of being a baby, the feeling of being held, a space to safely crumble and cry. And like any Mexican mommy who raised, who was, who raised their daughter on fresh frijoles, tortillas, and peace be with yous, 
She asked, are you okay, Mika? I said no and wanted to tell her why, but she interrupted me before I could elaborate or spit out any feelings. She told me, we need to pray, Mija. The Virgencita Jesucristo is waiting for us to give this Mugra election up to them. No, but mommy, I'm scared. And she continued, I know, I know. That's why our Lord wants you to go to him, Mija. I kept saying, I am scared. I am scared in my head. I wanted desperately for her to hear me, wanted her to just listen, like I wanted her to listen when I was scared 23 years before, alone in my dorm, afraid because the student from Lubbock across the hall told me I was going to hell and her Odessa, Texas boyfriend smeared dog shit on my car. But mommy stopped talking to me back then after she found out I was one of las otras, a lesbian. I told her again, mommy, I'm scared of all the hate in the world right now. And she interrupted, mijita, I'm praying for our world, praying for the evil. And I remembered when I was told by a praying man that I was evil for being a lesbian, a disgrace, disgusting, committing mortal sin. And then I remembered that our soon to be president and his posse said those same words about me and all my queer and transgendered hermanas and hermanos, my black, brown, black, Muslim familia, my sisters y mi gente coming to the US for dreams of quiet space and skies and rest. Then I remembered, my mommy is not the mean man I am afraid of. She loves me, but somewhere in all the battles she had to fight between being punished for speaking Spanish, degraded by her white teachers, segregation, Vietnam, ovarian cancer, the Cold War, multiple sexual assaults from superiors, her lesbian daughter, and the things she is, I am sure she has packed away behind surviving the hits and blows somewhere my mommy became so scared she stopped fighting. I reminded myself that my mommy has come a long way, gone through a lot, loves my wife, my girls, and me very much, so I tried again. I'm scared, mommy, I said, and our daughters are scared too, they're afraid. This time I thought my mommy would understand because she knows what it feels like to love her baby so much you'd kill for them, you'd live for them, you'd fight for them. She held my brother to her chest and promised to leave the country if he was called away to the Vietnam War. She felt the way I feel today, so I tried again. Mommy, I'm scared of Donald Trump and all the hateful people he is making more mad and more mean, I said but something wouldn't let her hear me that day. Something wouldn't let the fear in and she interrupted again before I could continue. Mijita, we have to pray. I wanted her to say she was going to come over, maybe make me caldo, sit with me, but she didn't. I wanted her to say she was ready to fight for me, but she didn't. The mocos broke up into my nose and I tried to tell her how scared I was again, but she kept praying and telling me it would be okay. I wanted her to say she was going to come over, but she didn't. And under my breath on the other side of the phone, I thought, I am scared, mommy. I was scared to hold Erika's hand at the grocery store yesterday. Mommy, just getting out of the car. 
and I wanted to tell her that I let go of my wife's hand in the parking lot when a huge pickup truck pulled up in front of us because I imagined someone jumping out to beat us with a two by four, like I had seen done before to a transgender woman on Maine and Evergreen on her knees. I wanted to cry and release my fears, but she couldn't hear. She told me again, mijita, it will be okay, and started to say goodbye. Tell Erika and the girls I love them, mija. I love you too. I wanted her to stay on the phone so I could tell her why I was afraid to go to the bathroom alone at the grocery store, afraid someone would tell me I couldn't go to the women's bathroom. But she didn't hear me. She told me it would be okay and to pray. It is not okay. It is not okay. It is not okay. But before I knew it, she wasn't on the other side of the phone and I thought I was alone. Then I found this pen and this poem and you were there and I was here and I began to tell you it is not okay. It was not okay when the old white man told me and my wife, let me take you both home to let you feel what a real dick feels like. It was not okay when the male coach told me at a pep rally he wanted to rip the principal's red leather pants off and fuck her in the custodial closet. It was not okay when my young gay student was tormented by groups of boys near the library over and over until one day he never returned to school only to hear he died in the bathroom of causes we were never told but a rope burn around his neck. It was not okay the day we realized there needed to be a suicide hotline for LGBTQIA kids. It was not okay when we realized we needed another hotline just for transgender kids because the suicide numbers were so high. It was not okay when my wife's ex-husband found it easy and foolproof to use our racist and homophobic laws to threaten her with the custody of our children and deportation. It was not okay when our friend's daughter was being poked on her breasts in school hallways and a football player threatened to text naked pics of her body to him or else he'll do it again and poke her somewhere else, he said. It was not okay when an adult man dragged my 13 year old body to the beach, jammed his hand into my pants and my face into his and it was not okay the three other times the same thing happened at 6, 11 and 16. It was not okay when our other daughter's roommate was raped in her dorm building by a swimmer at a Texas university. He got a slap on the hand. She dropped out of school because she was pregnant. It was not okay when I held my father's gun to my head because I believed my fat, raped, ridiculed body was dirty and ugly and my soul was not worthy of walking this world. It is not okay that when you started reading this, another woman was sexually assaulted in the US and since then two more and before you are done, at least one more will be raped and grabbed and beat against their will or hit. It is not okay that 49 of my queer black and brown sisters and brothers and fam and friends were gunned down dancing to disco cumbia and puerta negra on gay Latin night just hours ago. And this, this year, 23 transgender black and brown women will be murdered. Next year, 29. The year after that, we'll lose 26 more transgendered black and brown women to murder. In 2019, we will lose 27. In 2020, I'm losing count. Goddess Goyoshalki, help us, free us from this patriarchy. It is not okay. So do not tell me it is. I am scared. I am fueled and I have a right to be. And I am not going to just pray. I am going to let, I am not, 
going to let you leave here thinking it is okay either. I'm going to yell right back at the man who comes at me next time. I'm going to gather people together so we can take this patriarchy down alive. I'm going to give my gente a safe place to land. I'm going to write our truths until someone listens. I'm going to walk with you to your car so no one can lay a hand on you. And I'm going to be a phone call away when you want to tell me how scared you are you just want to talk about your scars because this is not okay. And if you don't believe me, read this again. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know where Eddie went. Can we just take a deep breath together? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's take a deep breath. I've heard you. Uh, I've heard you do that poem uh, many times, and I think it always it always cuts real real deep and real true. You know, um, you've never been one to shy away from the issues, you know, uh, or be afraid to to speak your voice. So I uh, applaud you for always doing that uh, and staying true and uplifting so many other people in the process too. I, I want to um, return that compliment to you, though. You do you do the same. Thing. You do the same thing, you and Eddie. So, I mean, it's a community thing. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, I want to start by asking, and this is just because it's something that came up in, in the poem that you were talking about. Uh, and yesterday I was watching a, a panel discussion by uh, the woman-led movement of HRC in Austin uh, with musician, Austin musician, Gina Chavez. And it was about faith and sexuality, you know, and you bring up your faith and your sexuality in that poem. Uh, and as queer people who, I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in the Catholic church, you know, like it's, it's, a, it's a dance, it's a balance. So I'm curious, how do you find that balance uh, between the two worlds and how are you able to, to merge them? You know, I've been maneuvering it. Um, I mean, we've all been maneuvering it in religion, with religion and, our, and our, who we are. Um, you know, and when I when I came out, I didn't really know I was I didn't really have plans to go to college, to be honest, like I was like, I'm going to be an artist, I'm going to paint and that's what I'm going to do. And um, my parents found out I was gay my senior year and that just kind of like shifted my life because I didn't I, they weren't happy with me there at the house. Um, and it wasn't a forced like get out of the house and everyone is here like you again, but it was like, you don't exist as a gay person, so I didn't have a home. My best friends were going to college. I thought, well, I guess I'll, I'll go. They have a dorm, you know, I've heard of that. And I, I guess I'll go do that. So I, I go to college, I go to Incarnate Word at the road, Catholic school. I get a scholarship for being for doing community service and being a good Catholic, if you can believe that. And um, I'm a peer minister. I get into Incarnate Word University as a peer minister. Um, I, I become a Eucharistic minister. I'm out as a lesbian. Uh, that first year, um, however, a lot of queer folks were just knocking on my door. I mean, they, we were just, com the community was gathering and gathering and gathering. So I was like, well, I better start a club. So this was 1994, the fall of 94. And I started um, at Goedis at Incarnate Word. And I, and I had all these young people in my dorm, this like very small little room. And we were, we were going to do this club and we we're going to turn it into student government and do all these other things. So we wrote the constitution and the bylaws. I mean, it is a mess. Like, I mean, I was 18. <laughs> well, I don't know how I was doing it, but I was like, we were all like up or maybe, I don't know. I don't even know if I had a computer, but um, the next day I hadn't even turned it in. Like, you know, you had to physically take it to student government and Lou Agnesi, the president of the university uh, had already 
said, you are not having an LGBT club on this campus. Mm. And within hours, um, John Tedesco, who's also still a journalist, was a journalist for our newspaper at the time. John? John, I think it's John Tedesco. He was like, I want to write a story about this for our school newspaper. So then he like interviewed me and did all this stuff. And then it ended up going into the Express News. I mean, it was like wild. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on the cover of the Express News. My mother and father had to see that. It was a mess. Um, so you've been trailblazing since a teenager is what I'm I mean, hearing. <laughs> it was wild. But the best part I have to say about faith, I'm getting there, is that the priest, my boss, who gave me the scholarship, who was Father Greg Neblett, was like, hey, we'll take on the group at Campus Ministry, the priest, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, okay, I'm down, you know? And then like Debbie uh, Debbie Myers from Dignity Catholic Church at the LGBT church here in town, Nikki Valdez, also from Dignity Catholic Church, the LGBT church, they like came, Sister Martha and Kirk, all these Catholics, you know? And I'm like, what? This is not what I learned. You know, I learned that this was bad, that I was going to hell, that I was like, um, and, you know, so since that moment, I mean, I am no longer a practicing Catholic. I am a Buddhist. I, I am, I'm, well, I practice Buddhism, meditation, and different, mm-hmm. different worlds of spirituality. Um, I'm nostalgically Catholic. Mm-hmm. I believe that we all have something to hold on to. If yeah. it's a religion, if it's the ocean, if it's poetry, um, then that's what it is. You know, the yeah. way I really, ba- I, the way I do it is that when people tell me, oh, pray to God, pray to Jesus, I'm like, ask the universe to take that mm-hmm. for you ask Madre Tierra, you know, ask the wind, talk, you know, talk to your friends. You all are my religion, you know, like, I mean, when I saw your face, like, I just, I want to cry again, because it's just, um, it's overwhelming, the work that I believe that art does, you know, I just, and I see it in your face, and in Eddie's face, and just all writers, and artists, and poets, Mm -hmm. just like, I know why we're doing this work, so it's it's so important, and it is, it's a religion, too, you know, I think so, it's, the, I it's the, the idea of like, it's not so much necessarily mending the, relig- the, the relationship between us and God, but mending the relationship between us and the God that we've been taught, the God that we've been sold, right? Wow, the God that we've been sold, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is that for each and every one of us, right? It's individual well, it's and unique. Like, I mean, your experience to me, it kind of mirrors uh, something about the faith where like we, we disconnect. We, we often think of the church mm-hmm. as just that institution. Right. And we don't think of it enough as the people mm. that make up the institution. And like what you're saying, you, know, you have the individual people, the priests, the yeah. sisters, uh, yeah. probably some of the professors who would say that they were Catholic uh, and they were the supportive ones. The institution, not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are actually two models of being church, mm-hmm. two ways of being church. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about community then, um, especially, so you, you are, anybody that knows you and knows your work knows you're, you're an activist, you're out there, you're front lines, uh, you're spreading the good words and the messages uh, out there, you know, just, just this week, we, we got two victories from the Supreme Court amidst a whole lot of other shit that's just not going right, uh, and in the middle of a pandemic, you know, um, so how have you kind of been able to balance, you know, like the, the precautions of taking care of yourself and your family, but also still, you know, putting yourself out there and, and doing the work that like, you know, knowing you that just is in you that has to happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be quite honest, it's, I mean, it's not been easy. I have, and, um, I, for anybody, obviously. Um, but you know, I'm just, 
breathing through it. I'm taking, we're taking all precautions. We have, have some family members that have tested positive, um, not living here at the home, um, tested positive with COVID. We have family members that are on the front lines as, as medical workers. We have, I have family members that are police officers, you know, so it's like, I have, you know, all these folks. And so that piece for me has been really intense. Like I'm, we've been doing a lot of text battles and Facebook battles and like teaching people battles and like just, <laughs> just within the family, you know, just within my blood and married and people family, right? And that's mm-hmm. not my queer community. Then there's that part. I think the other piece that's been really intense is that I've seen a lot of call out, uh, more call out culture, uh, more call outs, uh, which I, I think are necessary. I think they hold weight. I also think that I, I, you know, for me, what I've had conversations about with some folks that are doing that, uh, it's like, I try to call them up and like, okay, just like, I know you already did the call out, but like, could we, could you call that person before you do the call out? And then if they still don't budge, then call out. I mean, that's been something that I've been doing, trying to figure out how we're going to get this together. I've also uh, worked with my, with some of my black sisters and brothers to talk about what can we do? How can we do this together? I, I have conversations about how uh, I, I ha- there are there is a real racist part of being Latino. I mean, we are mm-hmm. as Latinx folks, we have, we are also racist and how do we fight that? So I'm trying to have those conversations with myself, with others, mm-hmm. with my mother, with my father, mm-hmm. with my sister, my brother. It's like, what's happening? Um, and writing and organizing and just trying to do all that you know and seeing you and yeah are you tired yeah. Or is that like a <laughs> that sounds, it's like a lot it's uh, a lot do you <laughs> sleep <laughs> I mean, yes i do six i'm a six hour sleeper i'm i'm it's all i need uh, there you go yeah i'm very keen to like you know to use up uh mm-hmm. doing the rest of the work uh-huh. i want to i kind of want to focus on the part of that is that you're in the literary community mm-hmm. And, and I guess in the, the queer literary community, what's, what do you think is the biggest change in that community that you've seen uh, since you started? I, since the like, very, very beginning, oh, wow, queer literary mm-hmm. community. Well, I mean, then. Since you, yeah, you know, since you started in it, since you entered Yeah, I mean, community. back then I was, I was going to like, what was it, Bookstop? Or I don't even know what those books were called back then. Book- <laughs> up and some other I mean there was nothing there was Zippo like zilch like zero and my mentors at the time as a writer uh then they were like go to the bookstore and and find all the books that you think are gonna like look like yours like the writers that write like you you know the and I'd be like okay so I'd like circle like the shelves you know and I'm like what and then I couldn't and then I couldn't really go to my librarian and be like hey could you give me some lesbian books um Because I was also terrified, you know, and I'm like, yeah. oh. and so dra- dramatically, there was no shelf. I mean, even when and Barnes and Noble is still there, right? But even if you go to Barnes and Noble today, there's like two shelves of LGBT, and it's all self help. It's like, how do you fix yourself? That's basically what mm. it, it is there, you know. Um, and I'm I'm exaggerating, but not that much. And you know mm-hmm. that. Um, I mean, you know that it's like just like the African American section and the Latino section; they're just mm-hmm. miniature. Um, so things have changed a lot in that way. Community-wise, I feel like um, I do have a lot of wonderful elder writers in my in my world, my queer world. Um, and that's been really fun because I have elders and then I have 20-year-olds, 17-year-olds. Uh, and that's just fucking brilliant. Because when I was 17, I was like, oh my God, who do I, I didn't have anybody. But now I'm 43, 44, I don't even know. And I can have people on both sides of 
of you know generationally and it's beautiful you know mm-hmm. i i help i ask my young folks like i don't want you to do that much work for me but if i fuck up please tell me you know like if i say the wrong thing i want to know and i hope mm-hmm. you could tell me but i'm going to mm-hmm. tell you too if yeah. you disrespect our elders right or if there's like a you know there it's so uh, to me, it's beautiful. I feel like we're growing. Uh, there's so much work to do. We're ba- barely like just cutting into the fabric of, of what's what's going yeah. on, what's back, you know? Yeah, little by little. Um, so you definitely identify, you're very open about your identity, you know, and you identify as, as a queer, lesbiana, Chicana, artist, author, you know, uh, and you and you stick by those labels very proudly. Why do you um, insist on you know, labeling yourself in a time when there's so many people that are trying to break down labels, you know, and want to get rid of them. Because I feel, I feel like for me, there's like a sentimiento, like there's a lot, there's like this, when I could say the, like, I'm a lesbian out loud. Oh my God. When someone told me they were a lesbian, when I saw the first, I remember like seeing Maria Salazar. I don't know if you know that is, she's an attorney here in town. Mm -hmm. She's a, my one of my butch mentors, I remember seeing her, I was like 18 or 19 and she was at gyms. I was studying. She came in from the club and I watched her and her partner come in and I'm like, oh my God, those are lesbians. And I would just say those <laughs> things like quietly to myself, right? You know, I'm a le- I'd write it. To say it out loud, you know, and when I would hear her, her say it or other folks say it, I felt empowered. And I know there's somebody out there that needs to just say the, voc- the words. I believe in the vocabulary. I think that as queer folks coming out as kids, like six-year-olds, eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, they don't have the language. They don't know what it is to be able to say, I'm a lesbian, I'm trans, I'm gay, I'm bi, I'm poly. They don't even have the vocabulary to say it. And sometimes because they don't have the vocabulary, maybe your rural folks, you're, they, they, they get married, they have three babies, then like all of a sudden they have a work trip to, I don't know, Boston or something. And they're like, poly, polyamorous, what? by you know and then they're like oh wait i'm not happy where i'm at right or i'm not have wait there's lesbian people or you know it's real that that vocabulary doesn't exist and i believe that it if anything it gives someone a moment when i say it it gives someone a moment to come out if they have an identity that fits that or find their own you know mm-hmm. um and that's why i'm just gonna keep saying it i believe i don't think the words are tired mm-hmm. at all they're more of a they're more of like an avenue to help people find their identities, you know, even if it's just a piece of it that they can latch onto and then, for, you know, form whatever makes up themselves, right? Right, right. And I, I say all of them. Like, I don't even, I'm not even one. I'm like 20. <laughs> yeah. You know? And tomorrow I'll be 25, mm-hmm. of a, more or less. I remember we were, uh, you, were, you were on a panel at the lake some years ago and a woman asked a question from the audience, the question, and the question was, uh, and it was the same question, but it was from a different perspective. It was like, why do you have to say lesbiana? Mm-hmm. Like, you, we know that you are, but why do you have to say it, you know? Yeah. And there was, a, there was like a whole lot more, mm-hmm. like you learn more about the person asking the question than the person mm-hmm. that was answering it. Mm-hmm. And um, I know I kind of wonder like, why do you think we're still having to a- ask those questions from our own culture. Mm. It's it's pure homophobia. I mean, it's pure homophobia. It's pure fear. It's fear that they, you know, that they probably are also gay or queer or thinking queer thoughts, right? Or having, 
um, feels, feels all the little feels inside their bodies. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it, I mean, as a writer, just, I mean, writing my poetry, when I published Empanada, people were like, why, why did you write a lesbiana story in Probaditas? I'm like, why are you fucking asking me that? Because I couldn't <laughs> find a fucking book and I want everyone to know this book has lesbian content. Yeah. I mean, I, the book, The Price, I mean, The Price of Salt, what is it called? The Something of Salt? I just went blank. Uh, Patricia Highsmith. It's an old, it's a lesbian book from the 70s, right? Hmm. How are you, The Price of Salt is what it's called. How are you going to know that it's a lesbian book? It just hmm. says The Price of Salt. Like, I don't know. I was like, I'm going to fucking tell everybody I'm a lesbian. The book's lesbian. It's that way someone can find it. Like, it's accessibility. And, yeah. and if people don't like it, they put my book down. If you don't want to talk to me because I'm going to say I'm butch, because I'm going to say I'm a lesbiana, then walk away. Or figure out why it hurts you so much, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think there's pain in there. I think there's fear in there um, and shame. They have their own shame. Uh, mm -hmm. Why do you have to turn it into in Spanish? Well, because I'm also Chicana and I believe in my Mexican lineage and I want to pronounce lesbiana hard. Like I believe in that as, you know, so, mm -hmm. but it is weird. I mean, it sucks when people say that, but you know why they're saying it. They just yeah. want you to like, Shh, go away. We have, a, is, we have a comment that says, uh, a person's humanity should not be silenced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to the same thing as like, you know, the God that we've been sold. It's these societal structures that we've been sold, you know, these systems that we've been told are like, but this is what it has to be. And I think more and more people are realizing because they see examples like yourself that it doesn't have to be one way. You don't have to fit in. You can be yourself and yourself can be an amalgam of so many different identities, you know? And the more people find their true selves, the happier they become and the less angry and unhappy and crazy shit happens out there, right? I yeah, think yeah. <laughs> so much of the crazy shit just comes from suppression, you know? Yeah, and it could change. Like, and that's the other thing that I've also learned from my young folks, like my young queer folks, they're like, you know, learning about the spectrum, you know, that's not new, like yesterday new, but it's newer, right, mm -hmm. for me, and um, learning about the fact that tomorrow, I might not pull one of those identities, right, I might get rid of it, or I might add one, I don't know what I'm going to feel, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you know, and I check in with myself and my body, I check in with my wife and our bodies, and our relationships, um, you know, those are things that we're always going to grow and change. So that's a prop to my young folks that taught me. Like, it might not always be like that, Anel. Okay, I got it. I want to hold on to that. It's valid, you know, but um, but all of it. But I'm going to say butch because I'm not going to put that term to sleep because I honor my butch elders, you know. I honor my <laughs> Leslie Feinbergs and all these great authors that are doing great work. So, yeah. yeah. Similarly, I identify with queer where, like, that, that used to be uh, a slur, but it's like, nah, that kind of, like, encompasses. I don't, I don't need a binary. I'm just, yeah. I'm just queer. We're gonna, yeah. we're gonna roll with it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. I, yeah, I love, uh, do you watch Vida by chance? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was going through um, the show and they're, they, they kind of touched on this, um, an issue about the generations in the queer community and uh, the tension, I guess. And uh, do you see that as well uh, in this? Because you mentioned you mentioned the spectrum, how that's like, it's not new, but it's newer or like the way it's openly spoken of or whatever. Um, 
how much has that you know influenced like uh, your interaction with those young the the younger group you know i just i i'm listening more i mean i'm listening differently you know um and more open i i don't know i mean i don't know how it's changed i think again i'm just like constantly trying to be as open as possible you know and um i don't i don't want to forget anybody you know i i really i know that they're i mean i have elder queer friends and mentors in my life that are not even out you know and they're still my mentor but i look at them and i say to myself like fuck you know they're close to 80 i mean i see you know like what am i gonna do like oh you have to come out and you got to tell everybody and you got to publish your erotic poetry no i'm not gonna do that you know like it's not my place to force anybody if they're 14, five or 80 to be out in, in any way, you know, be the way where you are and how you feel safe and how, where you are in your life. Right. Do I want that for everybody? Like, yes, to be out because I know what it feels like. Like I know how good it feels to like be so in love with my wife and like with Erika and go around, be with her and love her and kiss her. Like, Oh, it's the best feeling in the world. Like, I wish I could just like make a big, huge poster in the sky of how happy I am. And I wish everyone felt that, you know, um, but I can't, you know, so I just try to like work with what's new and the young folks and, you know, what's happening and try to listen, and be attentive and spread, tell, like bring people together too. You know, Erika and I, we host, we used to host like L Word nights and movie nights, uh, like Paris is burning in the backyard. We bring people together. Um, to do like watching queer stuff, um, uh, RuPaul, all that. And, um, and it's really amazing because we'll have like 19 year olds. Well, my daughter who's now 21, but since she was eight, we've been doing this. So forever, it'll be like a little queer person and then like a 60 year old queer person. And then all the ages in between. And after, especially after the L word, it was really cool because these 20 year olds were like, oh my God, like what? why don't we have bars like that? And then we would talk about like all the bars and the hundreds of lesbians and like the butches and the trans women and men and dancing and drag queens and just like taking off our shirts. And they're like, where is that world? I'm like, oh, we had it. You know? And then we talk about it. It's so beautiful. And, and, and we learn from each other. So that's one way I do it. You know, we try to facilitate just in small groups like that. You know? mm -hmm. You know, my husband and I were talking about it recently just with, you know, the whole Facebook battles and friends that are, you know, need to maybe listen, you know, and it's this idea of like, you, you have to, you have to walk through this life with grace, right? And, and humility and stand by your convictions, but, but hold them loosely enough to where if they're challenged, you listen, you know? And I think that's that's exactly what you're talking about in terms of creating these spaces of bringing people together so that people from all sides, all ages, all walks of life can come together and listen to each other, you know, not talk over yeah. each other, which is beautiful. So thank you. That's all I really wanted to say. <laughs> part, of that, part, part of, I mean, kind of going back to the literary side on that, uh, and you're, you're certainly, uh, I think, an expert in Gloria Saldua um because it's you know it's in the bio um <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is my bio also, but i've also i just i know that you are um and i i don't know if it's like some 
uh, existentialism where uh, now I'm seeing her everywhere? Or do you think that maybe she's having a moment right now? Uh, because there's like little, I mean, it's not just um, somebody speaking about Borderlands, but, uh, you know, in Vida, for example, they had a quote, you know, uh, of hers or say, I recognize the Gloria Tadua reference, you know, like the character said that. Yeah. Um, and then a few days later, it's, it's somewhere else and somewhere else. Um, is she having a moment right now, do you think? It's, it's, you know, it's really hard for me to say, because for me, she's got a lot of always on moment. Every moment is Antalua moment for me. But um, I mean, yeah, I do. I have seen her more, you know, pop up. And you're right. I saw, I did hear that in Vida. In fact, I was editing an anthology today and um, someone uh, referenced the shadow beast in there. And the other editor was like, shadow beast. And I was like, oh, we have to put a footnote in there. And they were like, why? And I was like, oh my God, it's Gloria. You guys, page 39, <laughs> Borderlands. So, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, now that you say it and I'm thinking about the moments, I have seen a lot more of her for sure, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, in pop culture, interestingly, uh, there's been a moment, I also have recognized that people have also called her out um, and she's not living, but I thought that was interesting. A few years ago, I, I heard some call outs about how she did not include, it was only about Chicanas, Chicanx folks um, and nobody else. And then I got to watch and be part of this, like, oh, that's not true. We're talking about indigenous, we're talking about history. We're talking about many people, we're talking about identity, body, sexuality, and gender. So that's been really, that's been waking up these last three years, people wanting to color out and then people, you know, back and forth. Um, but in her books, I mean, like her letters that were not uh, published have now been re released by Annalise Keating and a few other, couple other books and collections. So that's been really, really good to read. I think it's also this idea, you know, that she talked about of, of Nepantla, where it's like the, the in-between, right? And more and more, uh, people are realizing that it doesn't have to be this or that, you know, it doesn't have to be the binary. There's this entire yeah. spectrum in the middle, you know, that is kind of what she talks about, like living on this border, you know, yeah. uh, this in-between space. And as we, we come to grips with, you know, that being okay, her work continues to resurface because that's that's what she was talking about, you know? Yeah, the whole, yeah. it's, yeah, just being neither here nor there, being like mm -hmm. uh, feet, a uh, foot in both sides, a foot on all sides, like, and just how do we, yeah, how do we maneuver it? It's like what we're trying to maneuver right now. We're in the digital world and the real world, right? We're in, or the physical world. It's like, how are we maneuvering it? We're making mm -hmm. it work. How are we yeah. spreading that? Um, in fact, the painting behind me is called Ometeo, which is also, um, the Aztec god and goddess. It's a, it's a both neither here nor there, neither black nor white, neither male or female. So the Omateo painting is actually about that idea that you are, you know, both in all, mm -hmm. all encompassing of those energies. So it's, yeah, so it kind of talks about Nibantla as well. I love that. Well, let's talk about you as a writer then. Yeah. Uh, when did you... I mean, it's it's hard, it's weird to ask the question, like, when did you know you were a writer? But, you know, like, when did you have this moment of realization where like, well, goddamn, writing, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, well, you know, like, yeah, I, like I was saying before, I was I was just going to, I thought I was going to paint like forever, like just draw and paint. And and uh, my senior year, I, my best friends, they convinced me to take creative writing um, at also at, Incarn at, the, at the high school, Incarnate High School. 
And I was like, oh my God, no, like I don't write. Like I just paint, like you're going to have to do my homework. I remember telling them like, I'm not going to read any of that shit. Like I'm not going to do any of that, but they were taking it. And I was like, fine, it's my senior year. I'll take it. So I took it, um, and my teacher was Carol Mangden. She was a dean of academics as well, and I was not the best student. I mean, I don't know. I just wasn't. Um, I was like a good, a good C student, and, um, and so I took the class. She had already run into me a couple times because I had been, I had cut, was caught smoking cigarettes by the tennis courts at one point. So I wasn't the best student. But she, I would write, you know, and, and she would, I would write in my journal, and she would just do little checks, little comments, and then but she was giving me books like uh, she gave me Naomi Nye, who I love now. But then I was like, nah, this doesn't work. She gave me Annie Dillard. I love now, but I didn't love her then. And then she gave, him, <laughs> gave me Mongo Street, like true story. She's like, try this one. And I'm like, fine. And I was like a bitter kid because I was in the closet, you know, so I read the book and I'm like, holy shit. And I remember just writing. I mean, writing and 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 writing. And then I was like, fuck, this is it. Like, I love this because, and this is why I use like labels um, and language, uh, because I saw a Latina, a Latinx person mm -hmm. talking about her streets, her language, her story, the color of her skin, the sky, the things that I knew, the food, the smells, the music. And I was like, fuck, I actually can exist. I, I exist mm -hmm. in these books because for me, I mean, for us, you learn that it's what you read that is, is truth right for religion for history for anything what you read is what is and when i read mongo street i'm like i'm here i am and i need to be in these pages and um so i wrote and wrote and wrote and then um the end of the semester she wrote at the end of my uh portfolio you are a writer and um yeah, she, she actually passed away, though, like seven months after graduation. And it was really traumatic um, because I was like, oh, my God, I finally found out who I am. She's going to be my mentor. She told me who I am, you know, even better. And yeah. then she passes away. And then Naomi Nye had a reading at Mad Hatter's Tea, which used to be on Avenue B behind the, behind the Witty, which is a tiny little place back then. And I saw the flyer and I was like, okay, I guess I'll go to this reading because my teacher loved her, even though I didn't, <laughs> but <laughs> I will go anyway, because that's what I'm supposed to do. Apparently I see her, she reads um, and I go up to her afterwards and I was like 18 or so. And I'm like, um, my teacher told me I'm a writer, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> I mean, I literally just told her just like that, you know, and I didn't know who she was. Like, I didn't know she was like the superstar, like book award winner person I was a kid you know um and she's like okay well here's my number she gave me her number y'all like I was like and I didn't but to me then it was like oh it's just like some woman giving me her number and that's cool she's a writer and um yeah I went to her house I showed her some things I wrote and I read with her at the library a couple years later or maybe a year later and um it, it was like one of those moments where she's like I'm gonna invite you to this reading read your poetry and then we were, she's not my best friend or anything, you know, but she is someone I, I love a lot, Naomi Nye. She did that moment. It was that moment, mm -hmm. which is why I like to create moments for people to read, you know, now. Um, she created that moment for me. And, and I was like, this is it. My teacher created it. Naomi created it. And that's what I'm going to do um, mm -hmm. because I believe in it, you know, and I believe in that work of telling the story. So I do have a, a creation story, if you will, on my writing. <laughs> An origin story. <laughs> An origin story. <laughs> yeah. 
and then it almost becomes a uh, almost like a responsibility, like a I have to write, you know, just like uh, you know, Sandra Cisneros created that identity for you to identify. Now it's like the responsibility is on you to create these these stories for other people to see themselves in literature. Yeah. You know? yeah, absolutely. And I don't put I don't put a word down until I ask myself like, what does somebody need to hear? Mm-hmm. You know, and I really say that like somebody needs to hear something usually it's me that needs to hear it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so well it just happens you know is that why you write is that why you create for others both all of it i really believe in it's part of my process like it's part of my church it's part of my healing it's part of my releasing mm-hmm. um it's a gift to me to, to do it um but i do know and understand now um what it has done for readers you know um just by them what they tell me and so I try to be as careful as I can to not hurt anybody in my work, right? Or like mm-hmm. uh, say the right things. I'm sure I'm, I'll say something wrong at one point, you know, or I have already. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do. I do write for others for sure. I write and I write just because I see these stories happening. Someone needs to know how beautiful they are, you know, mm-hmm. um, or how tragic they are. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I was listening to your poem earlier uh, and it seems to me like it was a little bit of memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, can, do, do, you, do you think so? Do you think each poem is a chapter and a memoir? Is it something bigger, smaller than that? Or, or is there more to it? Yeah, I mean, I've never thought of that, but thank you. <laughs> well, I'm gonna write that. I'm gonna put that one in my memoir folder. This um, is how you know Eddie's a teacher. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, yes, it's a memoir. That's exactly what it is. Thank you. Um, I hadn't thought of it like that, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, that moment, I really did write that like the next day of Orlando, you know, like because then there was a we had a vigil um, here at Crockett Park, and I read it, but I was just like. I mean, you know, this whole this whole pandemic and, and everything on um, with police brutality and violence. I mean, it's just like the, the feelings are just riling inside of me, you know. So, yeah, I'm writing them down and maybe they are part of a life memoir, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and that's like another thing is like, do you um, what do you think you've been better at the writing in the moment or the planned writing, the one that required uh, a lot more of an outline or a pathway and a process. God, I don't know. I mean, I'm telling you right now, I'm revising my collection of short stories and it is like, ah, and I'm like, God, this was fun once upon a time. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm like, Uh once upon a time, I was having so much fun writing this, you know? Um, but no, I still am. I actually really am. <laughs> but um, it's hard, you know. And you know, this poem that I read right now, like it's had ten drafts at least. I mean, I was just writing, revising it today before this because I was like, I it's it's still going. Like this is a living fucking piece, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it is not fucking okay. None of this shit's okay. And I could write forty pages of it, you know. Um, so. Yeah, I don't know what's better or worse. I mean, I, I like my fast stuff, but I am a firm believer that you got to just keep on crafting. And, and I do like to go back and clean up. Mm-hmm. You know, I really do. I you, really pref- like 
you perform a lot. You host a lot too. You put together a lot of events and whatnot. Do you still, you know, I know people want to know, like, do you still get nervous when you perform? Yeah. Every single time, every single, just before this, I was nervous. <laughs> Yesterday I did five minutes for Planned Parenthood and I was nervous, like on the, on a zoom, you know, like yeah. I, I do. Um, but you know, I don't know if it's, sometimes I don't know if it's nerves or it's, um, knowing the anticipation of knowing how hard it's going to be to read what I'm about to read sometimes. Mm. And usually that's what it is, you know, and then I just have to get through it. Um, mm -hmm. But I just believe in it. You know, I feel it. Uh, I was just saying the other day, um, who was I? I don't even know where I was, but I was talking about just that process of like honoring. I was introducing some writers. I don't know which one, but I was talking about that idea that we go to see these readings and we're just like, oh yeah, we're gonna do this reading. But we, we forget to recognize that like we get there, right? But the writer in front of you has spent countless hours mm -hmm. breaking their fucking heart in pieces, mm -hmm. just to opening, ripping themselves in half. They have just cried and drilled and written and sweat and tears. And, and then they had to put it all back together when they were done, right? And then they had to come here to this reading and then they had to open themselves up all over again mm -hmm. in front of all these people. And then they have to find a way to like zip it all back up, you know? And then they have to talk to you afterwards and be healthy and okay and not get triggered and not like go cry in a corner because th that's real. You know, sometimes our work does that. Um, and I was telling the audience, like, we have to honor that about the writer, you know, like that, they are do and they're doing this work for themselves, but you are also doing healing. The reader, the viewer, the listener, you are having you are healing right now by listening mm. to this work. So the work of a writer isn't like a page; it's a whole fucking like universe of process. It's part of mental health. It's part of healing and identity and growing and understanding others. You know. So yeah, I think it's huge. It's massive. It's such a big what, responsibility. You know, one of the interesting things is that. Uh, going to readings and I go to both. I'm, I'm in readings and I go to readings, right? Yeah. And um, when I go to readings, I notice that it's a whole bunch of other people who are writers and poets. Yeah. Uh, we're reading to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I get the feeling that you've kind of been to both audiences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which one's tougher? Mm. Probably reading to my to other writers, maybe. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, oh my God, is this good enough? <laughs> you know, like old, old imposter shit comes in, you know? Uh -huh. Like, oh my God. Like, like to read around you all is very, very intimidating for me because I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't perform the way you all perform. I mean, you guys like memorize your work. You do like a lot of like, well, maybe I don't memorize anything. <laughs> <laughs> you do the Macarena. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, it's just different. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. I believe in the power of tequila, you know, well, to help us get there. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you, uh, because, you know, you mentioned you, you grew up in San Antonio. You, you know, you went to school at Incarnate Word. You went to college at Incarnate Word. You, if anybody follows you on social media, you are constantly posting about local businesses and San Antonio grown. 
um, what, you know, like if I owned a cosmetics company and I collaborated with you and made a red lipstick, it would be called Sananto, you know? <laughs> I'm about that, I'm about that. <laughs> you know? So what is it about San Antonio, uh, you know? Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's so weird. It's such a twilight zone here. Um, people are so nice. I mean, some people are assholes, really, but they're nice first and they're assholes inside. You know what I mean? It's so uh-huh. weird. I was having this conversation with um, my editor, or he's also the editor of Gorima Press yesterday because he's in, in San Francisco, but he spent many years in Austin. And he left his family, I think, in L.A. He was like, oh, I left my family in L.A. to go find myself. And I found myself in Texas. He was weird talking (laughs) about this. And I was like, I know, it's so weird. Um, But it's, it's, it, people are really kind here and magical. And I, there's a magic in the space. And I also want to say that it's, I mean, it's not our current people either. It's also just the land, the Bayaya people, our, our land, our ancestors that were on this land before, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, it's magical. There's water everywhere. There's confluences of rivers and streams. And, and I also, I think that makes us happy as people. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, there's something gorgeous here. And I'm actually, was born in, in Brownsville in South Texas, but mm-hmm. came here when I was five. And so I feel like this is more, um, that is my home. That is like where my grandmother is and my grandmother was and, and that part of my family. Um, so I kind of feel like people ask me, where are you from? I, I sometimes feel like I'm from all that space. You know, I, I don't have one space. Nepatla. South Texas. Nepatla. South Texas. Nepatla, yeah. Nepatla. Well, there's, and that's an interesting question because I've, I've heard this, this answer, different people answered differently. Where does South Texas end? Oh, I know. I don't know. Some uh, people I, don't think we're South Texas. Here. <laughs> 1604. Right. No, I've heard that too. Yeah, I've heard that <laughs> I've heard some people say it's um, Hillcrest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, awesome. it Thousand Oaks. I think Rooster has a poem where he says Thousand Oaks is like the, is the, uh, is the boundary. Um, uh, I don't know, but I think, you know, I think you South Texas, yeah. is, have you always felt that way about San Antonio? Cause you grew up here. I know what teenagers are like, you know, I teach teenagers yeah. and they always hate it here. They always want to leave. Um, and then I also went to college here in the 90s. I know what that was like. Did you always believe that this was as magical as you do now? Yeah, I love it. I do. I mean, when I, I mean, the, old, I, the only, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But yeah, because when I came out, I mean, when I was a teen, I was a regular just pissed off teen, you know, because I was in the closet. That was, but it didn't really have to do with San Antonio, but I mean, once I saw San Antonio, once I like was like, oh, I, I could drive around and go places and be around. I mean, I was 17 and, and I was already going to the bar. I had a fake ID. I was already going to the Esperanza, you know, and oh my gosh, it was like, oh, the gay scene. I'm like, yes, we're all like POCs. We're all brown and black. We're all trans and queer and gay and naked and beautiful and sexy. And it's been great. I mean, mm-hmm. I love this place. I do. Um, so yeah, I've never really not liked it that I can remember. Now, I mean, there's been some moments and some mayors that I'm not fond of, but you know. <laughs> no place is perfect. <laughs> yes, no place is perfect. Yeah, I think South Texas is is it's not necessarily geographical. You know, it's it's yeah. the people. You know, to go back on what you what you said. You know, yeah. because also a lot of us that grew up in 
Laredo and the Rio Grande Valley and Brownsville. We all ended up in San Antonio, you know? And so we bring the culture of the border to San Antonio, which makes it part of the border, you know? Mm-hmm. So, except for the fresas in McAllen, we'll forgive them. Fresas in McAllen. So, outside of being a poet, you know, you are also in, an artist in the sense of like a visual artist. You know, you work in many mediums. You work with jewelry and silver. You you paint. Uh, what is it? I mean, you mentioned like you originally thought you were going to be a, a painter and artist, but like. How do you, one, how do you find the time? And two, why do you continue to, to flow between all these mediums? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I've got, I've just got so much going on in my head all the time. I'm just like, just swirling and swirling. And, um, you know, it keeps me, it actually really just keeps me focused to be busy. Mm. I think I'm so hyper, really. I mean, I'm like, woo, I could just like fly all day long and I'm not like on anything, you know, I'm just kind of here, you know, just on life. And, um, but I it can't stop. And I'm all, my mind just like wants to keep challenging. So for me, the medium, I mean, I'm a storyteller and I try to just say, I'm gonna tell the story and I'm gonna, and I believe in, in, in the way that we create things. Like I was saying the page, um, I'm always looking for how much longer can that medium last? You know, so now I, I also work in silver, you know? So I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna like make metal cause that'll never go away. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> silver. And so I make jewelry, you know, I, and I do it out of recycled silver. So the silver I work on all comes out of recycled engine parts. The stones I use for my silver are all lab grown, except for some that are art, that already exist, like some natural stones that exist, but I don't buy any mining or any of that. I just, I love to do it. You know, I, there's just like a pleasure in creating and going like, oh, like this little pendant here has a story in it, you know? Um, and it makes somebody happy. And I love that. It's just like a, a just returning back and forth. I love to do it. I love to paint. Um, yeah, it's a calling. <laughs> you can't not is basically what I'm hearing. You can't not. I know the, well, one is it seems maybe, um, well, do you know any artists who aren't ADHD? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think Eddie. so. I know. It's Call out culture. I tried you know, well, it's true because it's like I, think you should I come say up that a lot of times. Who aren't? Who aren't? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it's true. I mean, I'm definitely ADHD, so there's that. And I'm don't taking. I'm not taking meds, so I think my meds are my. It's my work. You know, I'm just like I'm just gonna keep working, and it'll keep me. Out and you'll need sleep six hours. That's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. yeah, that's good. That's I good. love it. So, what are you? What are you currently working on? What is what is Anel Flores? have in the works what can we expect in the coming months you know what 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 are your current projects yeah for sure um we are gorima press is editing the hota anthology it's been a process it's been a five-year process four years almost five um but it will be out by fall and we will have almost 300 pages of hota writers from all over um, so I'm re- we're doing our revisions right now. We're like on the third or fourth revision of the whole uh, collection, the anthology. So that'll be out in the fall with Gurima Press. I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm editing that with Rita Kikurris, who's also a local professor at Trinity, and uh, Jack, Dr. Jackie Cuevas, who's a professor at UTSA, and Lorenzo Herrera Lozano, who's the Gurima Press editor. So we're putting that together. I'm working on my collection of stories that at one moment was a novel, but now it's a collection of stories. So I'm revising <laughs> that. Um, 
And once that is completed, those two projects are completed and like in their own world, um, I'm gonna get back to really finalizing my graphic memoir, which now I might include that poem. Thank you, Eddie, for <laughs> saying that might be memoir-ish. Um, but so I'm working on my graphic memoir. That's been exciting because I can finally say that I was waiting to get to a place in my life where I felt like super, super strong as a writer and super, super strong as an artist so that I could fuse them together. Um, and I feel like I'm there. So I've been able to draw and, uh, and write my memoir. So that's my next big, my biggest, my bigger project that'll be next. I love it. Um, so final question, real question. When are you running for office? Oh my God, it's so <laughs> I mean, it's been on my mind every now and then, but you know, I, a few years ago, somebody asked me and they were ready to like talk me through it and like be with me and lead me. There's like all these little things you got to do and know. And, mm -hmm. um, and I thought about it for a couple of weeks. This was about five years ago, I think. And I, and then I called them and I, uh, few people had asked right from the same source and multiple people asked me and then I just called the one person and I was like I am a writer mm -hmm. like and I want to keep being a writer and I don't want to do anything in my life that is going to compromise what I believe in and I know that politics there are some compromises you know and I don't want to do that and so I just had to make a life choice because I really did want to run for many years I mean up until that moment when it became real you know and I was like mm -hmm. I want to be a writer. Y'all can do that. I'll go support you. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not well, ready to, no. Well, you got my vote now, no matter what. <laughs> you, got my vote. you got mine too. <laughs> Anel, if you would please, uh, this has been uh, a absolutely heart-filling uh, past hour of conversation. If you would please close this out with one more poem, uh, right. it would be our honor and pleasure. Thank you. I'll do that. All right, this piece is going to be um, from Empanada, my book Empanada. Oh, you can't see it, but you can see it later. Um, look it up, Empanada, Lesbiana Story and Probaditas. I'm gonna read a short piece called Summer Feast. Uh, and that is because it is summer and it is hot. And I'm gonna leave you with something sexy and hot. Uh, I think we need a little bit of that. I want to dance like a stripper for you right here. So I do. And I don't care if Abuela can see me sweat through her lace curtains as I spin and throw tongue at you. I am dancing like a stripper for you right here on my Abuela's porch. I spin around on the post at the corner wearing one of her batas, the smell and flavor of tamales and dark black salsa the chipotle you dripped onto my swollen lips and nose when we secretly kissed behind her pantry door. The spice on my lips and the sweat dripping and flying as I dance makes the round of my mouth tingle. When the ice cream man comes by, I'm gonna buy a red, white, and blue bomb stick. Beg him to step away from his mobile freezer, grab your hand, take you in with me, close his big freezer-looking door behind us, open up a few other packages of ice pops, and cool off my lips. Gonna let the plastic wrap and paleta sticks roll off your body as I cradle and lay you out 
open on the table, push the chicharrones off the stainless steel counter, pump purple sticky raspa syrup on your stomach and some ice, sprinkle Lucas on top and grin with my teeth clutched at the summer feast laid before me. While your toes curl in ringlets, I'll listen to you laugh and shiver, grab a little plastic spoon y me lanzo. Refresh myself from the pole dance in the San Antonio sun and refresh myself and refresh myself and refresh myself till I'm sticky and rosy around my mouth. I love the little ding dong la 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 music. I listen to it until I feel 11 again until the ice cream man knocks and slams the door behind him. I grab a long rainbow pop for later, wave goodbye while my knees and forearms dangle down. Go inside, wash dishes, watch novelas, and eat baby tortillas with frijoles refritos. Thank you. Thank, no, thank you. Thank you. And where, where can we find Ooh. your work? Are you, uh, can you, I can tell, you know, tell the audience like where, uh, where can they find you? Is there a website? Is there uh, yeah, a you Twitter can go, handle? Or? Yeah, you can go to anelflores.com. Just my name, A-N-E-L-F-L-O-R-E-S.com. Um, I have my book link there. Uh, more about me, my CVs there, booking info, my jewelry, the store, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's all there on alflotus.com. You can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, um, and just, yeah, all that good no, stuff. No, and no, just anelflotus. Anelflotus.com, yeah. Anelflotus on social media as well. Um, okay. And on June 26th, ne- no, June 25th, next Thursday, a week from today, is the four-year anniversary, I believe, of Queer Voices. <gasps> and we are having a reading. Yeah, we are having a Zoom reading. And so there's an event on Facebook. You'll see that. We're going to have Charles Rice Gonzalez, Alison De La Cruz. Uh, we're going to have Dee Mahone. We're going to have so many. We're going to have some really great writers. And we're going to start Queer Voices again. Uh, hopefully, we'll just keep on going uh, every every fourth Thursday uh, on Zoom. And, and we'll let you know. So look for me on Facebook and Instagram for that. For those of you that, that don't know, Queer Voices is an event that Anel has been curating for now the past four years that was happening at the at the Pride Center most recently, every fourth Thursday. Um, so uh, yes, follow her. I have my fan now. I feel really yeah. empowered. Follow her so that you can find out about upcoming readings, but every fourth Thursday. Yes. So and you'll be on there one of these days again, Chibi, so don't worry. Whenever, whenever you want me. I'm You're around. so good. I love it. <laughs> Ah, Lord, thank you so much, Anel Flores. This has been a gift, really. You are a gift to this city and to this community uh, and to everybody that reads your work. Uh, Just reading through the comments of what everybody has been saying, uh, you are a true treasure of San Antonio and the queer community here. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you you both for having me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the space, I really do. Thank you so much. Eddie, tell us, so who do we have coming up next week? Because we're here every Thursday. So excited. Because we've had poets from like the Valley and Houston. We got all the way to Virginia, you're right. And LA. And and LA, that's right. But we haven't had anybody from the great Northwest, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, And Roxy Allen is joining us. Mm. Uh, And they are amazing, an amazing uh, poet, spoken word artist. So we're really excited to have them with us uh, 
next week, next Thursday here. They're from the Pacific Northwest. They're actually in San Antonio right now. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but you know, they're around. Uh, so they're gonna be coming up. They are a poet, activist, uh, sex worker, body positivity uh, enthusiast. So it's gonna be a fantastic conversation. So that's next week. Uh, but yeah, if you wanna go back and uh, hear previous episodes, catch up, listen to some of your favorite writers, some of your favorite poets. We're now on podcast form too and we're releasing new episodes every Friday. So uh, that is that. That being said, Annette, there. Anel Flores over there, Eddie Vega down there. My name is Chibi. It's been an honor and a privilege. Y'all take care, be safe. Good night. Good night. Bye. Mwah.